Well, I want to invite you to join me in Exodus 20, verse 13. We find ourselves this morning in our journey through the Ten Commandments looking to the Sixth Commandment. It's one sentence in Scripture, two words in the Hebrew, and they speak volumes. Let us... Let's turn to the Lord and ask His blessing that He might expound those volumes for us. Would you bow with me? Lord, this is Your Word. Forgive us our temptation to brush past it. Forgive us our temptation to think we have this. Give us the gift of Your Spirit to open our eyes in our ears, and our heart, to hear your word, and to know Jesus more deeply through your word. In his name we pray, amen. Friends, this is the inerrant and infallible word of God. You shall not murder. It's the word of the Lord. On a couple of occasions this week, I was asked some version of a question that I wrote at the top of my page on Monday as I explored this text. It seems so obvious, <laughs> but why? Why is it so obvious? And what are we missing when we think of it as obvious? Let me ask a show of hands. Who in here believes that it is wrong to murder? I believe we are close to unanimous. Close. Not quite, but close. The thing is, we didn't have to be in a worship service to agree upon that one. We could go out of these walls and ask the same question and probably get the same show of hands But what if I asked why? Why is it wrong? Many of us, maybe even many of us in here, and many of us out there would say it just is. It's obvious. It's wrong to murder because it's wrong to murder. And when we answer that way, whether we know it or not, we are responding with some version of utilitarian ethics. Now, for those of you who have not brushed up on your philosophy utilitarian ethics basically says the greatest good for the greatest number whatever is best for the most people that must be the ethically right choice well problem then is who gets to decide what is the greatest good for the greatest number oftentimes It's the crowd, and crowds change. An example of this changing ethics uh, I read about this week. Kevin DeYoung spoke of it in his book on the Ten Commandments. Back during World War II, the Nazis were occupying the Netherlands, and they issued a command to the Dutch doctors that they, they allow 
or enforce death upon the elderly and the terminally ill. The Dutch doctors refused this command because they knew that it was wrong. We fast forward to the year 2001. That same country, the Netherlands, became the first country in the world to legalize physician-assisted suicide, believing it to be the most kind and merciful act they could allow. But the problem is, when you fast forward the calendar a few more years, those decisions begin to be made by others. Insurance companies, caregivers, now with growing numbers are making that request instead of the patient. You hear others are requesting a physician-assisted suicide because the slippery slope of relativistic ethics has begun. See what happens when ethical decisions are based on the greatest good for the greatest number? They're based on factors that are relative and that change, but the commandments of God are not relative, and you shall not murder is not utilitarian. Hear this. Hear this, all of you. Your life is valuable, not because of your usefulness to society, but because you bear the image of God. It's the foundation of our worldview teaching. A worldview that we have seen explained throughout our time in the Ten Commandments. It's one of the things that we said from the beginning. We would hear prohibitions, we would hear requirements, but we would also grow in understanding the person of God and His, His foundation for our life. Now, we see that, that worldview building in the Exodus 20, but oftentimes you have heard that we've gone back to Genesis, particularly the early chapters of Genesis, to find the basis for these commandments. And we do that here in the sixth commandment, looking to the first chapter of Scripture, the creation account. Genesis 1, 26 and 27, we read that, that God created man and woman in His own image. That means we are all image bearers of God. And then in Genesis 9, in the recreation account, after the flood, we see whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed for or because God made man in his own image. The Word of God is telling us, first of all, that this prohibition against murder didn't start in Exodus 20. But it also tells us that always the foundation behind that commandment it's been the value of life. And that life is created in the image of God. Remember, 10 years ago, it's hard to believe we've now been in trustful for 10 years. And that first, uh, that first year here, Anna and I were getting adjusted to the frequency of tornadoes along the I-59 corridor. We'd never experienced a tornado season, so we were having to adjust to the, uh, which news channel to watch and how to respond. And one particular night when we got the alert, we were in a polygon. We found ourselves hiding in our neighbor's semi-basement. 
Do you know what we brought over to that basement? Well, we brought our children because they were important to us. But Anna also brought their baby albums. Because those images of our children were of far greater value than any material good in our house. Listen to this. You are precious to the Lord your God. Not because you are a picture of His image, but because you are a person in His image. Friends, young friends, <laughs> hear this. You're growing up in a, in a culture, in a setting that would try and, and frame your thinking. And frame your thinking in a, in a culture that is shifting and turning. But know this, God's law is not dependent upon changing values. The world does not get to decide what is right and wrong. God has declared it. And so do not let the shifting winds of culture determine your values. I speak that to the young people, and I speak it to those not young. <laughs> Our worldview is founded in the Word of God. In the Word of God, we find the value of life. It is what we mean when we speak of the sanctity of life. That is the basis behind the command, but then there is the command to value life, all of life. There's a rhythm to our time in these commandments. We've spoken about foundational worldviews, but we've also said in the rhythm of our time in these commandments that each of the commandments forbids certain thoughts, words, and actions. And then each of the commandments also requires certain thoughts, words, and actions. So what does the sixth commandment forbid? I've already said in the Hebrew it's two words. No murder. It's quite simple. No murder. Now those of us who, who grew up with the language of the King James Version might have heard a different word, but the, the ESV, the NASV, the NIV, uh, even the Message Bible uses a different word. Murder, not kill. And there's, a, there's an importance to the nuance. What is prohibited is the unjust taking of life. This commandment is not speaking to self-defense. It is not speaking to just warfare. It is speaking against the unjust taking of life, either the life of our neighbor or our own. So specifically, that is unfolded in, in a prohibition against premeditated murder and unpremeditated murder. Though, as the civil law unpacks the difference between those two, it would assign different punishments to the two. We hear that, and, and we get it. Again, we all raised our hands. We get this prohibition, specifically against murder, premeditated or un. But generally, and we'll see this in a moment, this commandment also forbids all devaluing of life. Now, on the flip side, what is required in the sixth commandment? 
Well, the sixth commandment requires all lawful endeavors to preserve our own life and the life of others. The civil law sort of unpacks this for us more and gives us an example of what it means to preserve life. It, it requires a homeowner to put a parapet up on the roof. Now, you may not know or be familiar with parapets on the roof because these days, most of us at least, don't go hang out on the roof to cool off at night. <laughs> so think in terms of a deck. Those of you who have a deck at your house, and maybe that deck is above a foot or two off the ground, I am assuming for a moment that you have a railing around that deck. Why did you go about bearing the expense to put a railing around that deck? Well, I'm going to make another assumption. You did so because you actually cared about those people who were going to be sitting on or standing on that deck. You didn't want them to fall off of the deck and either hurt themselves or be killed. What you may not have known was that when you bore that expense of putting the railing around the deck, you were living in obedience to the sixth commandment. Do you see that there are a multitude of ways in which we protect and care for other people? Expand it in all the areas of your life and seek obedience to the commandment by actually being thoughtful of others. Maybe I'll offer another. Because here we talked about preserving and protecting our own life and the life of others. Well, the Westminster Larger Catechism unpacks this in ways that might surprise you. We protect and preserve our own life by taking care of ourselves, by eating right, by sleeping, by exercising. The, the catechism puts it this way, we protect and preserve our own life through the sober use of food, drink, medicine, sleep, labor, and recreation. I know I'm starting to delve into the area of meddling, but we need to take care of ourselves because we are created in the image of God. And the way we look after our own bodies speaks to something of the way we view that image. It's part of our call to obedience, broadly. It's how we value life. I want to emphasize something as we consider this, um, the, the, uh, the, what is forbidden and what is required in this call to value life. I want to emphasize the fact that we value all life. Four days after I was born, utilitarian ethics hit a low point. On that day, the Supreme Court of the United States legalized abortion through their judgment in the Roe versus Wade hearing. It's clear to all that in that decision, science was not the basis behind the decision. It is an indisputable fact that life begins at conception. And so when science was thrown out, the only thing left was to assign a relative value to that life at varying stages of development, which also tells us that the image of God was not the basis for decision-making 
Instead, we were left with utilitarian ethics, the greatest good for the greatest number. And that greatest good for the greatest number was determined at the time by the shifting winds of culture and was acted upon then and since by the good of self. So in the 48 years since that cold January day, approximately 62 million babies have been murdered in the womb. If you do the math... That is roughly 12 times the population of the state of Alabama. Or if you prefer to think in terms of nations, it would be approximately the population of Italy. It begins to frame our thinking a bit, doesn't it? It tells us that what is going on in this plight of abortion is nothing less than an act of generational genocide. So what are we to do in response? Well, for one, we need to see it for what it is. It's a breach of the sixth commandment. It is, in fact, murder. And so what do we do? We speak out against the utilitarian relativistic worldview that bases ethical decisions upon shifting, changing times. We also support those who do the same. But understand, we of all people in the church of Jesus Christ must know that if we only speak out and vote, we are missing the boat. More than merely speaking out, more than voting, we are called to love and to love all life. I am I'm humbled to be a part of this church body with you <laughs> because you as a church body do this in beautiful, profound, costly ways. You value love by valuing life. Again, it's humbling to see the sheer number of families in this body that are obeying the sixth commandment either by fostering children or adopting children. But beyond the the number of families in our body that are participating in this ministry is the heart behind them. Because to value life is to care actively and at great cost. Let me be careful. As I speak to this ministry of fostering and adoption, I am not meaning in any way to imply that the Lord is calling every family in this room to either foster or adopt. That is a specific calling that He has placed in the hearts of specific individuals, and it is not for everyone, but the calling that He has placed on every single person in this room is to come alongside of those families to care for them as they go about this important and powerful ministry. So as a church, recognizing what the Lord has already been doing in our midst, we have chosen to form the life team. Now, don't be embarrassed and don't be shy, but I'm going to ask if you are serving on the life team, please stand. I'm asking you to stand for a specific reason. I'm not trying to call anybody out or draw attention. Stand. Go ahead. 
please do. Now I want you to look around, and not so that you can pat them on the back. I want you to look around and see them so that you know who to go to to ask how you can help, okay? That's why. Thank you. Friends, part of how we seek to preserve life is to care for these families. To care for the families who are bringing these, these babies into their home. It is, a, it is a heavy calling. And every one of us can come alongside of them to serve them as they serve these children. But also know that the life team and our participation with the life team is not there merely to serve the families in our church who are fostering and adopting but it's also so that we can love and serve the pregnant mothers who are in situations where they fear that they can't care for this child in their womb sometimes these mothers are children themselves sometimes these mothers are stuck in a cycle of poverty or abuse And if we are to speak out against abortion, it is imperative for us to also love and serve the mothers who are struggling with these decisions. Otherwise, our voices are empty. We as a church body can can do this in a couple of very practical ways. I've I've asked the life team to, to stand up, go, speak to one of them and ask how you can help. We have families in our church who who foster, and what I have come to see is they get about 30 minutes notice at times (laughs) that they are about to receive a child, and they're not always equipped. We can serve this ministry sometimes by bringing them or helping them with the resources they need to care for these children. Sometimes it is bringing a meal. Sometimes it is praying with. Sometimes it is a shoulder for them to cry on. (laughs) Sometimes it's an ear to listen, connect to the life team members and ask how you can be a part of this ministry. You don't have to serve on the team. The team is there to mobilize our broad efforts. The life team is there to serve the families in our church doing this work, but the life team is also there to serve and care for the mothers who are making these decisions. So another practical way that you can take part in protecting and preserving life is to volunteer with one of our missions partners, Positive Choices. Our missions team recently has chosen to partner with Positive Choices as they come alongside of the mothers, at times to counsel, at times to care, at times to assist. It's one of the ways that we can broadly preserve life and I know that some of you are thinking I have no place in my gifting to counsel pregnant women well you're in luck because if I recall there was a day when Bob Horton stood before us and asked any men who wanted to come and do some renovation work at the positive choice office that the gifting you needed was be able to carry a hammer I think that covers most of us in this room and so go Connect with the life team and see how you can take part in preserving and protecting life. Friends, we're doing it. Let us continue to do it by valuing life, by actively loving life. We hear that. We hear the basis. We hear the command. And yet there are still some of us in this room who are thinking, check. 
I've got it. What's the big deal? Well, for all of us, I take us now to the heart of the matter. Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verses, or chapter 5 through 7. Jesus is, he's preaching uh, about the kingdom of God. Uh, it sort of seems like upside down land as he, as he kind of tells us what life in the kingdom of God is to be like. And as he does so, he offers some commentary on the commandments themselves. At times we're tempted to think that he is transforming or changing the commandments, but he's not. He's explaining the heart of God. He's explaining God's heart and how his heart has always been on display through the commandments. And so specifically in Matthew 5, verses 21 and 22, Jesus opens up for us the sixth commandment, telling us what it means to obey in the kingdom of God. Not only does this commandment prohibit violent acts, but it prohibits violent emotions and intentions of the heart. Listen to verses 21 and 22. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment, Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? What Jesus is saying is this. It's not merely the one who pulls the trigger on the gun who is breaking the sixth commandment. It is also the one who is pulling the trigger of their heart. Friends, we've got to move beyond our surface level understanding of of obedience and explore the sin beneath the sin. Jesus is saying that the action of murder is formed in the seed of anger. And so are you angry with your brother or sister? Do you find yourself nurturing a silent rage, all the while justifying it with a polite exterior? Are you living in unreconciled conflict with your neighbor? In your heart, how are you valuing those around you? Jesus is telling us, each and every one of us, you and I, that apart from him, we are all subject to the fires of hell. So what are we to do with this anger? Well, first, we need to know that in Christ, we can be honest about it. Let's be honest enough to say that the anger is there because the secret unspoken is a secret that continues to have power over us. And let us embrace our need. It's why we speak of embracing our need in the vision statement for this church. When we embrace our need, we're embracing our need for Jesus. We're saying, yes, it's not just them who are sinners, it's me who's a sinner. And when I have the freedom to embrace that need, then I can cling to and depend upon Jesus Christ. I can, in fact, delight in Him. Friends, Embracing our need gives us a new ability to put words to the struggle. And then, don't stop there. Ask the question of your own heart. Why is that anger there? 
Last week, <clears throat> I did battle with an ice maker, and I'm not sure who won. Uh, the battle began just after I laid down to bed. I laid down for a long summer's nap and heard in the kitchen the voices of despair that the ice maker would not work. So I got out of the bed and I went into the kitchen and the battle commenced. I fought to shove a little plastic piece onto a metal crank and it wasn't going where I wanted it to go and I kept shoving harder and harder and as I did my anger grew. I didn't start out angry at anyone but pretty soon I was angry at everyone including God. Why? Well, did you hear where I was when I heard about this ice maker breaking? I was in bed. I had been busy serving the kingdom of God all day long, and I deserved to sleep. I didn't deserve to be called out of bed. I deserved respect. I didn't get it because it was a task to be done. I was mad because the Lord God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, had not given me the mechanical gifting I needed at that moment to fix the ice maker. So unbelief was in there. Do you hear all that was going on in my heart? But it wasn't manifesting itself with repentance. It was manifesting itself with anger that began to ease outward and the deeper I dug this hole the more my anger grew until finally I had to get outside of the situation in a moment of Holy Spirit insight I was started to ask myself what in the world is going on in your heart right now it's an ice maker and I began to realize what I was putting is a matter of first importance, self. My inability to deal with my own anger led to more anger. And it took backing away to deal with the sin beneath the sin, the sin of self. Friends, we've got to learn to deal with the anger in our own hearts. And to deal with that anger, we've got to ask ourselves, what is the sin beneath the sin? I invite you there. It's part, of, it's part of what we do with this anger. But that's not all. We, as, as we talk about how to deal with the anger, we've got to also acknowledge that there are times when we are unjustly wronged. There are times in this fallen world where we are the victim of sin and injustice. And in those moments... Hear this call to biblical lament. The Psalms are, are our guide in this call to lament. Do you know what it means to lament? To lament means not to bring our anger against the Lord, but is to bring it to Him. To come alongside of Him and together with the Lord face this struggle. The Word of God serves as a guide putting language to our lament it gives us the ability to bring our anger to God relationally 
Because when we lament, we're not directing that anger towards God. We're bringing it to Him in the context of the gospel. Turn your anger into lament. And then we seek reconciliation. To seek reconciliation is is not to seek to win an argument, but it is to restore a relationship and to do so in a timely manner so that we can diffuse the rancid seed of anger before it bubbles up in the form of outward violence. Friends, in the beginning, I asked the question, what are we missing? When we think that this commandment seems so obvious. Ultimately, we're missing Jesus. Ultimately, when we think we've got this, we're missing the one who has come to save us from our not getting it. And we're saying, Jesus, I've got this. I'll keep you at a polite distance. We've spoken about the plight of abortion. Do you find yourself now or at any time apathetic toward the plight of the unborn? Do you find yourself now or at any time apathetic toward the plight of of poverty and abuse that drives so many women to abortion? Both forms of apathy devalue life. Are you careless in this call to protect and preserve life, the life of your neighbor? Do you find yourself reckless with your own personal health? Do you struggle with anger? How about this? Do you find pleasure in sarcasm where cloaked in humor you tear others down in order to make yourself feel better everything I've just mentioned is a form of devaluing life friends have you have we gotten to the point where we have come to see and know that the only thing good in us is Jesus what are we missing when the sixth commandment is obvious we're missing our first love when we uncover the roots of our violent and angry tendencies, we eventually get to the point where we realize we cannot help ourselves. And there at the point where we cannot help ourselves, we will finally see with eyes afresh that the Lord Jesus Christ came as an act of His grace to step into our place, taking upon Himself death, We murdered Him, and He came willingly so that we might have life. Friends, recapture your first love by recapturing the blessing of what it is that Jesus Christ has given you in the Gospel. At that point, at that point where you can dig no further, And only there, you will know that Jesus is enough. Dear friend, you bear the image of God, which means you are precious in His sight. Receive His love in Jesus Christ and let it transform you. And let it transform 
the way you see the image of God in others. Let it transform the way you respect and love the image of God in them. Father, you are wise, you are holy, you are good, you are just, you are loving, you are merciful. We stand before you as sinners. And I pray that you would give us the joy of knowing the forgiveness we have in Christ. And let that joy be transformational. In his name we pray. Amen.